I'm in San Diego. I was going to rent a car, but now I'm glad that I didn't. As I've experienced around the world, some of the best conversations happen in cars, and I'm grateful for these moments. Nathaniel grew up in Manila. He's better suited for San Diego now. Manila's heat and traffic bothered him. We talk about Red Horse and San Miguel. He can cook lechon, but he tells me that I should go to the groceries in National City, where I can get great Filipino specialties. I tell him about Apo, and he tells me about the Filipino gangsters that mark their bodies with eagles and snakes. He tells me about the cross. I listen. Moriel grew up in Brazil. She tells me that New York is like Sao Paulo. She's lived in Miami, in Italy, and in San Diego. We talk about the Navy. Her daughter's in love. Moriel can tell things about people. It's the sort of thing I don't usually believe, but she does know. She tells me about you, and she's right. So I tell her about you too. I'm a drifter. She knows this too. She drops me off in La Jolla, and she tells me that I'm special. I think the same thing about her. Hector is a young man. After college, he grew bored of California and took off from Mexico. He traveled for two years, spending a lot of time in Mexico City, but also exploring the beaches around Cancun. He talks about TJ. I talk about Indonesia. We crack jokes and we bond, and after 15 minutes, we become memories. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I'm in San Diego. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to episode number 101 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. You might hear some airplanes going overhead. Sorry if you hear that in your ears, but it's like every 60 seconds one flies overhead. I'm right nearby the airport and my window doesn't close. So we deal. My guest today is Craig Jenkins. He is the president of the San Diego chapter of Urban Surf for Kids. This is a really uh, impactful organization that partners kids from uh, foster homes, at-risk youth, kids from difficult situations, puts them into these surf camps where they take part in surfing and in activities that help them to deal with their trauma and with their PTSD. Craig's going to go into all this uh, at in, you know in depth in a much uh, more articulate way than I can. So I'll let him get to all the nitty gritty. But Urban Surfer Kids is a really amazing organization. This conversation was really inspiring. Hopefully it will inspire you to become active in causes that you believe about. Causes that you believe about. Causes that you believe in. I want to say... Thank you to Saya Nodera. She's the executive director of the San Diego chapter. She helped to 
set up this conversation and to get both Craig and I in a room together. So thank you to you. Uh, yeah, that'll be the intro for today because we talk at length about all this stuff. So listen to the conversation that is about to follow. If you want to support the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast in a financial capacity, you can do so on Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Voyages of Tim Vetter. That is a subscription-based service where you can give monthly, and that will go to keeping these stories coming, to keeping the travel going, the education and the entertainment, uh, if you are enjoying it. If you can't support financially but want to support, you can leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes or the podcast application of your choice. I will say, if you're looking to give money to something, please donate it first to Urban Surf for Kids instead of giving it to me. If you only have uh, enough to give to one thing and you want to, make sure you give it to Urban Surf for Kids because they deserve it much more than I do. All right, folks. Enjoy this conversation with Craig Jenkins. The thing that I was going to start with that you informed me, like informed me about that we can inform uh, listeners about uh, first, Craig, is, is where you're from. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Yonkers, New York uh, my whole life, and I was there till I was about 25, and I headed out to San Diego, uh, dollar in a dream. When, okay, so uh, prior to coming out to San Diego... Uh, had you been interested in surfing? Like, did you learn at a young age? Yeah, you know, I, I had a pretty special connection with the water uh, through an organization that um, I was a part of when I was a kid. And uh, I got introduced to Coast Guard, and then it kind of oh. started this fascination with being on the ocean and working on the ocean. So I went to a maritime college, and you know, it was there that I met people that surfed, and I learned how to surf, and I... Uh, was working for a shipping company and they sent me to San Diego to do some training. And I thought this was paradise. I didn't want to get on the plane to go home back to New York. So I just stayed. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe like out east on Long Island people surf, but um, I can't imagine there's much surfing uh, off of Yonkers or <laughs> New York City. There is definitely. I think the closest <laughs> beach we had was uh, City Island or no, it was actually Orchard Beach, if you're familiar in the Bronx. No. Yeah. Orchard Beach. I was. No surf there. Yeah. So uh, prior to going to college, had you surfed or? No, no, okay. I haven't surfed. I, I spent some time on the water going fishing and, you know, in the summers uh, with that organization, we would go up to Martha's Vineyard and oh, cool. And experience the, the ocean there. And that's where I learned how to boogie board and swim and really respect the ocean. Yeah. Where, where was that college? So it wasn't in college. Uh, when I was a kid, I was part of a program. Uh, it was a Kerry Children's Foundation. Oh. And what they did is they took uh, youth like myself who had challenging childhoods oh. and gave them an opportunity to go experience something and you know that we would not normally have the opportunity to do. And it was for us with people, I was dealing with some learning issues. 
it was a great way for me to really uh, accelerate and get ready for the next year. Wow. So it was a whole summer. I mean, you take a kid from Yonkers, you drop him off into one of the richest islands on the East Coast, and I lived a block from the beach Whoa. for the entire summer. It was incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. So I'm um, seeing then the direct connection between <laughs> the organization now. Um, before I like get get into that, um, it sounds like a silly question, but um, what do you like about surfing or, or what do you love about surfing? You know, I, I think surfing is just the greatest equalizer. You know, mm. you could take anybody and you put them in the ocean and you can come become very small. You go out on a double overhead day, you could feel like an ant. There's the ocean is just so powerful. But what I really liked about, about it was it was a way for me to go experience something and it was almost like therapy for me. I was going into the water. I was like, you know, I had a bad day. I'm stressed. I just need to do an hour-long surf session. I got to fit this in. I just had this incredible feeling, this healing feeling when I got out of the water, like just really refocused my life. So that's what I like about surfing the most. Whoa, that's awesome. I... um. You know, in doing this, this is now episode 101. So I've had a really diverse range of guests, like from different uh, professions and interests. So I have to try to know like a, a little bit about a lot. Uh, I've, I'm not a surfer. I just, for the first time, was starting to learn back in July. So I was in the Philippines and there's this little island called Shargao that is like a little kind of like teardrop off of the, uh, a much larger island, Cebu. And in Chargao, the like wave of, of development is coming and it's going to just freaking like crush everything I love about it. But um, right now, at least, there's one really developed touristy area. And there's a lot of surfing there, but there's surfing all over the island. And in the, in the small towns, and I stayed in one to the north, which is amazing, but... You know, there's there's one little spot with a Wi-Fi signal. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have like satellite, you, you get TV. Uh, so the thing that you do is you surf. Uh, it's what the kids, the local kids, do all day long as they get up and they surf. And so there's this local guy, John John, and and he was teaching me. And it was the first thing that I really experienced was was how difficult it was. <laughs> um, you know, I'm waking up every morning and I'm going like for runs, and and I think I'm in really good shape. But I'm, I'm trying to get up on this surfboard and I'm using parts of my body, I guess, that I don't normally use and like don't have uh, strong muscles developed. And so after a day, it just like kicked my ass. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I really liked, and I've heard people say this, that like sort of uh, surfing can teach them sort of like larger life lessons, um, which I'm going to ask you about maybe. Uh, but one of the things I liked is that it taught me, it was, it's like learning a new skill. It's just trying to get up on the board and fail, 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 fail. And then you ride one. It's like, oh, I got it. And then you start getting it every time and you get a little bit more and you get to ride a little bit longer. And it was just a really, as a 30-something plus year old, like you don't learn a lot of new skills like you did when you were a kid. And it was just really cool to me to, to try something and be really shitty at it and fail a lot and then get these like little minor successes. Um, and I would imagine that sort of like correlates to, to other areas in your life, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, s surfing, you know, when somebody's starting surfing or when I talk to the kids in the program, 
I'm like, you're going to have to dedicate like a year. You're going to be in the white water. You're going to be getting pounding, thrown up on the sand. You're going to nose dive your board. And, and you know, you're just going to be like, what am I doing? I'm getting worked here. And then one day you'll feel it. You'll get in front of that first wave. You'll go down the face. You'll feel the glide on the board. Your whole like methodology, your mind will change. And that's it. You're hooked. It's, you're a surfer. I've read about like flow states in, I, I think it's Stephen Kotler uh, is the author who wrote The Rise of Superman. I forget the name of his second book. Um, but uh, do you have experience with that, sort of like getting into a flow state when surfing? So I, I wrote an article for Adaptive Magazine, oh, cool, which was very interesting. Um, there was actually a, a doctor. I can't even begin to say this person's name because it was crazy. It's crazy long. Um, it begins with a C. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you you know exactly what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they talked about this whole flow methodology about um, how surfing is actually healing. And, you know, how it, you know, causes you to be present in the time and then just physically like floating in the water. I mean, it it was a really fascinating article. And I used some of that to show, you know, that surfing with our youth uh, who are, you know, experiencing homelessness and and are in foster care, that um, that flow methodology, that that's all Mm. surf therapy. Oh, that's brilliant. Um. Here, uh, so I'm imagining then there are good surf spots like right here in San Diego. Absolutely, we're we're right down the street for some of the best ones. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Uh, just earlier today, like just to kill some time in between um, doing some other stuff in this, I went down to La Jolla Cove, uh, where like, all the seals are and everything, and a lot of tourists. It was beautiful. Um, but like, what what are the the good surf spots over here? So it's actually interesting that you went to La Jolla Cove and then came up here to interview us because 90% of our surf camps happen at La Jolla Shores right there. Oh, okay. So just north of where all that is. Um, You know, it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, If you're an advanced surfer, you know, you're looking on these big heavy swell days, depending on the direction you're going down to Black's Beach and surfing down there. There's wind and sea and some of the reef breaks over in La Jolla. Uh, One of my favorites down Sunset Cliffs. Oh, I went there last night. It's gorgeous over there. Absolutely gorgeous. And there gorgeous. were people surfing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, so that's, that's one of my favorite spots. I mean, you can go down to IB and get barreled down there and just... So, you know, San Diego is very fortunate. We just have a diverse, um, you know, diverse surfing culture here and a lot of different types of waves. Oh. And it's just a pretty great place to be a surfer. It stays... Uh, the water stays pretty cold here? It does, although this summer was the warmest I've ever felt the water. I mean, we were trunking it. We were, I didn't even know what a wetsuit was for so long. So it kind of goes, it ebbs and flows with, um, you know, the seasons and the El Ninos and whatever the weather forecasters are predicting. But I surf in a three, two year round. So I'm, I'm comfy. Okay. Yeah. And again, for, for like amateurs like myself, uh, when I was in Chargao, it it was like all reef there. So like, you know, like I, I wiped out, badly and had like little like stickers stuck in me and everything like um i'm assuming reefs and and rockier types of soil are going to lead to more waves 
Yeah, so reefs are good. Okay. <laughs> uh, they're not good when you slam into them. Yeah. But uh, if you stay, if you stay on a wave on a reef, it's good. You know, in tropical destinations like you're talking about there in Hawaii um, and some of the tropical islands, the reefs are a little bit different. They're coral. There's different hazards in there. There's sea urchins. Here in San Diego, our coral is just more like our reefs are more just rocks. Okay. Uh, you combine that with a little bit of. Um, uh, you know, what we have out here is the kelp, uh. the kelp line out there. So you got kelp, which kind of mellows the wave out, hits the reef. It just creates like a beautiful wave. And that's why Sunset Cliffs is my favorite. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I would definitely recommend like if people come to San Diego to check out Sunset Cliffs, it's beautiful over there. Absolutely. You mentioned Hawaii um, and I was talking about the Philippines. Have you, uh, Hawaii is obviously part of the United States, but have you uh, surfed internationally or like anywhere that's pretty far from here? So uh, internationally, I mean, we're so close to Mexico. I, I jumped down to Mexico. Uh, I, I don't even consider that international anymore because yeah. we're just so close. We could just hop down there and surf. Uh, I did spend some time, you know, when I was shipping out, I worked up for a commercial shipping company and I got some time to surf in some of these small little Mariana Islands out there in Saipan and Guam. Whoa, cool, cool. So that was, that was kind of cool, but a lot of my surfing has just been straight here in, in San Diego. Okay. I mean, we you can go from the border all the way up to San Clemente and, or even up to San Francisco and just have all the surf you want. When you go down to Mexico, is it like Baja and... Okay. Yeah, I go down to Baja. I mean, we're so close to Rosarito and all those places just a little bit south. Uh, I mean, those are day trips for us here yeah. in San Diego. So you just hop across, catch some swell, grab a taco, come yeah. back. It's, it's, uh, it's a good life. Oh, awesome. Now, are you one of the founders of the organization? No. So I wasn't a founder. We were founded by Wesley Stewart, who okay. um, he started the program in 2009. I came on a few years later and I worked directly with Wes we were like, I, I call us like a superpower. He was a really good visionary. I, because of all my years in the military and and my kind of my background, I was very regimented and, and structured. So he put us two together and we were like a superpower. And what we created was what we have today, Urban Surf for Kids. Yeah. Now, um, maybe talk about like exactly what the services are that, you provide to the kids or exactly like what they're, they're taking part in. Yeah. So urban surf for kids, we're a nonprofit. We work with foster and at risk youth. We use surf therapy or surfing as a therapy tool, surfing and, and mentoring programs as a therapy tool for our youth who are overcoming PTSD, trauma, physical and emotional abuse. Uh, when Wes and I first started, I just remember going to the beach. We had 10 kids. We threw them in the water. We gave them a PB&J and we kicked them down the road. And we're like, we're going to create surfers. And then we quickly <laughs> realized that's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's not why the kids were coming back. The kids were coming back because we are the, um, you know, they can go from different placements, different placements and, you know, be shifted all around San Diego. But if they come to us every month, we're the same people. We're that consistency for them. So we were kind of built our program off of that. We like we wanted to create this family for kids that don't have a family or don't feel like they're in a family if they're getting moved around. So the main way we did that was start off with those surf camps. 
and that quickly turned into you know when we finally got the approval to do that, which was which was pretty hard for us to get. Once we finally got recognized and were able to do it, and we finally got these kids to be legally allowed in the ocean, we were like, "What's the next step?" And Wes is like, "I love I love Hawaii. Everybody should go to Hawaii. It's such a magical place. It's completely different. These kids would love it there." So we're like, okay, these kids who weren't allowed in the ocean in San Diego, now we're going to bring them to Hawaii. And we're going to put them in the ocean over there, even though they're under state jurisdiction here in California. Everybody thought we were crazy. And we're on our fifth year. So wow. um, we've taken kids to Hawaii for five years now. And that's through our Dreaming of Aloha program. So we're reaching the kids three ways. We're doing it through the surf camps that Dreaming of Aloha Achievement Program. And that's where we work with the kids for four to six months and they earn this trip to Hawaii. They apply for this just like you would apply for a college. You submit an application, you have rules and guidelines you have to follow, you have to take courses, you take swim lessons. And then the main pillar of the whole program is our two major service requirements. So they'll go in and they'll actually have to do two community out, outreach pro, um, volunteer projects. And we do two of them. One of them is surfing with the blind. Whoa. And then we, do, we feed homeless veterans on Veterans Day. All right. I have a lot of follow-ups because that is amazing. Um, first of all, I, was, <laughs> I had in my notes to ask you about, because I saw a lot of like the Ohana and a lot of like mm-hmm. the... Uh, Hawaiian sayings and things like that. So that explains that. Uh, I was just in Hawaii for the first time um, in December in Oahu. And yeah, it's absolutely amazing there. Uh, That's an amazing opportunity for those kids. Um, Now, I I understand probably a a big part of like the difficulty was like there's liability issues with putting kids in the water. Um, but also are these kids that are already sort of like in the foster system, how do they get identified to be like potential candidates for the programs? Yeah. So there was legal issues. Nobody had, to my knowledge, when we started this, nobody had really done this with the kids. And, you know, there are certain stipulations and rules that were set upon these, uh, different group homes. And most of it was to protect the youth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it would, some of these group homes we deal with have over 120 kids at the, at them, and they just don't want the kids going down and being in an environment where they're not properly supervised in the water. And these group homes don't have the capacity to do that. What we did is we came in and we have, you know, trained volunteers that work in the water. We had the liability insurance. We had the equipment. We had the know-how and the instructors to do it. We had to do one-on-one. So when we proposed that to this group home, um, they were like, we're not allowed to do it, but let's try. Whoa. So we got that first one in there. Luckily, it was one of the major ones here in San Diego. And then once they got on board, it was every group home wanted to do it. Wow. All the foster foster agencies wanted to get on board. So we serve over 600 kids a year each of our surf camps have about 200 people at them wow yeah now obviously these kids don't have surf experience um but i know that also you know a lot of uh poor communities communities that haven't had access to even things like community pools they're kids that don't have experience swimming so for some of these kids 
is it also true that this is like their first time in water? Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to see some courage. There's some of these kids that go out there and they don't know how to swim. Wow. Uh, with our program, I mean, they're with the same volunteers. They see these volunteers and they develop these relationships and that comfort level and that trust is created and you watch these kids push their boundaries. So they'll they'll try something. They'll go a little bit deeper in the water. They'll try swimming. They'll, you know, they'll do things that most people can't get them to do and it's, you know, face their fears. Wow. Um, so I was explaining earlier that, you know, I, I've worked in, uh, I guess what you could call high needs district and I've experienced in education it sounds like you can sort of maybe even pull upon some of the experiences that you had because you were in a camp in a somewhat similar manner. Do you like? Do your instructors have to sort of be uh, educated about the lives of the kids so that they can make connections? Um, like, how do you sort of you know bridge that gap? Because obviously, like kids from these backgrounds sometimes are, are distrusting of, of adults and strangers and things like that. Absolutely. You know, so we, we have three different programs and I think I left one off when we first were talking about, we have our surf camps, we have dreaming of Aloha, and then we have our mentoring program and our mentoring program. We work in small groups, 10 volunteers, 10 kids in each team, three mentoring teams, and they meet outside of our monthly surf camps. So, um, for a general surf camp, it's for us, you don't need to have special training. You're already supervised by, by our staff. If there's ever a question or something that comes up with a youth when you're working there, there's a team leader there for you to address that with. Um, I, do, I do tell our volunteers when they show up at a surf camp, these kids are not, you know, you, you might come and you have this expectation that this kid is just instantly going to bond with you and you're going to have this amazing experience. You're going to be running down the beach hand in hand. And the actual <laughs> reality is they can be very standoffish. There's a ton of trauma these kids yeah. have felt. They don't trust people um, and they don't want to let themselves go and they don't want to be vulnerable. So it often takes months and months and months for those but one, once you get that moment, and I've waited and waited with kids, and once you get that moment, you'll never forget it. That's awesome. Uh, how often do they, do they come and surf when they're, I guess, like in camp? Or? So we do a surf camp once a month. Okay. Um, you know, that was a great way initially for us to get the kids involved. And, you know, for some of these group homes, that's the thing that they do that month. Whoa. That's the outing. So, you know, we, we saw that that was, you know, a great way to reach the kids. But what we realized was when we looked around the camp, okay, so I would, you know, I can have 60 kids in the water during a surf camp, but 100 kids would show up and they wouldn't sign up to surf. They were just coming. They were just coming to the camps. And I'm like, why are these kids coming? They're not surfing. Wes and I are like, well, we're supposed to be creating surfers. And then we read this book, The Blue Mind. I don't know. Yeah, if yeah. Walter J. Nichols. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. It's all about surf therapy. And it's like we realized. Wallace J. Nichols. Sorry. Yeah. What we realized is just being at, in, under, smelling, seeing, feeling, hearing the ocean is healing these kids. Yeah. So, um, 
so there was that component to it. And I started seeing that these same kids that weren't getting into water, they were establishing these relationships. So I'm like, what can we do to build on this? So we, we came up with a mentoring program. We're like, it's a perfect time to do this. We didn't want it to be one-on-one. -on -one. We wanted to be kind of in a smaller group uh, because these kids, I, I see that their guard gets down a little bit when they're with a small group of people that are just like them, these kids that are going through the same thing. So we started this mentoring program. And the mentoring program has given these kids the opportunity to do stuff outside of the camp, whether it be surfing, going sailing. I mean, last year they were they were sailing. They were going all over the place. They were at a horse ranch. I mean, That's so cool, man. Yeah, so. Wow. Um, first of all, that, that's awesome. I've talked about that book before. But I'm the, like, I, I don't remember if we were recording when I said this, but I grew up on Long Island and... Um, you know, that's where I spent my youth. And even without reading that book, like there's a noticeable effect on your psyche and uh, like your stress level and just on the way you feel like after spending a day at the beach. Um, so that totally makes sense. But that book sort of like backs it up with actual science and data. It's really cool. Absolutely. And, you know, to take that a little step further, uh, what we we have now aligned with the International Surf Therapy Organization. And wow. they're taking that surf therapy and they're really standardizing it, not just here nationally, but internationally. So we're part of the International Surf Therapy Organization. We're working with them to do some advanced studies on what's occurring with our kids and uh, how how we're able to you know to help these kids. And you know we thought we were just going to be taking kids surfing, but what we realized is this is an extremely effective tool to help our youth naturally with one of the major things that they are um, faced with, and it's PTSD and trauma. Yeah. There was a study that came out from Harvard Medical School and it said that a former foster youth is more than twice as likely to have PTSD than a war veteran. Whoa. Which was pretty insane. That I is mean, insane. I, I reread this because I still can't believe it sometimes. I reread this like over and over and over. And, you know, I've discussed with Wes and some of our staff, like, why does this happen? Why, how, is, how is that possible? And, you know, these kids are exposed to trauma at such an early age they're developing and they are they don't they don't get the coping mechanisms um, to deal with that or they're not prepared and what we're starting to see is that surfing and this flow that they're experiencing in the water it's able to actually shut their mind off for at least a minute a second it's more than what they've ever gotten you know when you when a a kid is experiencing trauma or PTSD. It's almost like this. Um, it's almost like this nightmare that's like present every single second of the day, and it's like affects their way they react or they have anxiety. They have all these these conditions, and they can never feel free from it. And what we realize is when we put them in the water, we can make them free. And we did this because you you put somebody in the water. The water's so big. The ocean. It's you, know, you got your instructor, you're doing something you've never done before, you're grabbing onto this board, you're not familiar with it, you're listening to your instructor, it's okay, we're going up over this wave, you gotta push your board over, okay, we're gonna get you on the board, all right, this is how you position on the board, we're gonna turn, you see that wave, okay, we're gonna get that wave, you're gonna paddle, you're gonna stand up, you're gonna ride the wave, and what just happened for 
that minute, that two minute, you were free. Mm. You thought of nothing else other than what your instructor was saying, what the water felt like, and that actual motion. That's amazing. Yeah. One thing I was unprepared for going into education was like, you know, you... Uh, when you're you're going through college and you're being trained in in how to do your job, you you read books about at-risk youth, and it doesn't prepare you for the reality of the fact that like I came out of um, my youth like quite unharmed, <laughs> which I think a lot of people and maybe a lot of people listening are, but I wasn't prepared for like how prevalent physical and sexual abuse is for kids in like uh, low-income settings. Um, you know, from uh, poor neighborhoods and things like that. Like, it is really common. And it's amazing that you guys have some sort of an outlet where you were saying they can at least temporarily, you know, shut out that noise that is, is sticking around from the trauma. Absolutely. It's, you know, some of the stories that, you know, you hear from these kids, it's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. I can't, I, and, until I got into this program and I started really learning about what some of these kids have been through. And I mean, it'll take you years for one of these kids to open up and mm-hmm. tell you what happened to them. And, you know, one of the reasons why we train our, our mentors so much when we put them through a training course on how to deal with these kids is because I can tell you right now, you're not prepared to hear what these kids have gone through. It's, mm-hmm completely devastating and it's for me I, I look at these kids I'm like how can this person who has been through so much trauma so much pain has been hurt physically emotionally sexually and they could still smile yeah you know and for me I just drew so much inspiration from these kids so I've seen some of the most abused kids in our program just literally flourish wow yeah are there I was gonna ask if there were any Obviously, without like using names, if there's any specific stories of success that have sort of like stuck out to you, yeah, I mean, I can go on with the success <laughs> stories. Um, there, there have been a very, uh, you know, a ton of kids that have gone through our program that uh, have really just left a mark. I mean, we've, you know, I think one of our biggest success stories that we've kind of based our whole program off of was a girl that we we brought out for a program, a pilot program that we had. She had never seen the ocean before. She came out from uh, Nevada and she saw the ocean for the first time. It was a program we were doing, it was SoCali Dreaming. So she came out and she saw the ocean for the first time and it was like, it was mind blowing for her. Mm. And you know, without, she was going through a lot. I mean, she was testifying against her biological father and, mm. you know, she was, you couldn't even imagine what this girl has, has been through. And through all this trauma and through all this pain, she just found this family here in San Diego and we became her family. And that's where we started realizing, like, we're not teaching people to surf. We're creating a Sohana. So she came in, she started working with our group and we now use her. She comes on our on our Dreaming of Aloha trip every year. She's one of our motivational speakers for the kids. She um, comes and does our mentoring program there in Hawaii. And she really works with the kids and gets them to create this team and this support network. And 
you know, statistically, nationally, for foster youth, only 3% of them ever graduate college, and, uh, which is pretty pretty crazy. About half of them won't even graduate high school. Wow. So um, to be part of that 3% that actually graduates college is crazy, and she was the first one in our program to do it. That's amazing. So I literally went out there for her graduation, which was out there in Arizona, and it was to today, probably one of our biggest success stories. That's so cool. But there's countless. I mean, I've, I have other kids that have been inspired by somebody we brought in their life and then been that inspiration for another kid. Wow. Yeah. So that's, and are you guys getting sort of, you mentioned sort of being part of that, um, like psychological study. Are you guys getting national recognition? Cause it sounds like this is a really big deal. Yeah. So, we are working on a couple of things to really with some, with you know a couple of the educational universities to really come in and study what we're doing. The you know the Navy is working on a million dollar grant right now to study wow. surf therapy as a treatment for PTSD in in their veterans. And then when you look at the PTSD rate for uh, foster youth, you know we want to get that study going for us and seeing you know, exactly what it's doing and what what can we quantify from this so we could make this, you know, available to people around the entire nation. That's amazing. But with the help of the International Surf Therapy Organization, surf therapy will never be the same. It's not just going to be this concept that's kind of like some crazy people thinking they're healing the world with the with the water. We're working with doctors and scientists and all these different groups from all around the world and we're all compiling our data, and we're really going to quantify what we're doing. That's amazing. It, it, I was just thinking it's funny because it's sort of bringing it back to Blue Mind. I think kind of like you just mentioned, a lot of people would look at stuff like that or even like saying surf therapy is like real woo-woo sort of uh, out there type of stuff, right? Like, okay, hippie, right? Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, like thankfully, a lot of that stuff is, is being backed up by hard science, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, you know, they're doing studies now. They're studying like what chemically is occurring in your body when you surf mm. and some of the chemicals that are being released and they're they're mirroring with what our kids are being prescribed for antidepressants. Wow. So it's almost like a natural way and, and you know, call me crazy, but if I, I I would love to see that the the first intervention before we start medicating and we start doing that, depending on the specific case, let's try a, a natural way to, to heal this kid without using medicine. Let's try to use sports or surfing or whatever it is to, to work with this kid first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was going to ask, um, you mentioned Mexico. Due to the proximity of San Diego to to Mexico, to the border, do you have uh, migrant kids as, as part of your program? Yeah, you know, it's not something we specifically study or we collect data on. Um, there are a lot of Hispanic kids that come to our, our program. Um, a lot of them are from Mexico. Mm. But as far as how they got here or, you know... Um, you know, it's just, they've just always been a part of our program. Yeah. Yeah. You, you are also, I guess you, I don't know if you say a branch or you guys are also located in Florida, right? Yes. Are there uh, other ideas to expand to other parts of the country? 
Yeah, you know, Wes and I were talking about the expansion and we we're like, you know, do, do we have to be limited to just surf therapy, you know? And uh, when we opened up uh, Florida, we had this idea. We're like, everybody needs to be doing this no matter what state you're in. And it does, you don't have to surf. You could paddleboard. You could snowboard. You could skateboard. So we started branding Urban Surf for Kids as US4K. So the S could be Urban Surf, Urban Snow, Urban Skate, Urban oh, Sub. Oh, cool. So if you ask... Wild Man Wes and myself, <laughs> where Urban's going to be. We're going to be in all 50 states, no matter if you're doing stand-up paddleboarding, skateboarding, Hell snowboarding, yeah. or surfing. That's so cool. I wanted to ask something specifically about Florida, because um, I, I don't know if you do it here as well, but I was reading a little bit about the Cops and Kids events. Are you familiar? <laughs> yeah, so um, Surf of the Cop Day actually originated... Um, I brought the idea to Wes, actually. Uh, we started out here in San Diego. I work in law enforcement. Um, I work at night. I do urban during the day. Um, but what I started realizing is when I started talking to the federal agents that I were working with who were serving warrants or the state and locals and talking with our kids, I realized there was this big disconnect. You know, the, the officers, you know, the only time they interacted with these kids is, you know, they, they remove them from the home, you know, or they realize that these kids aren't trusting, they're rolling through the neighborhoods and the kids are fleeing or they're scared or they're shaking when they're seeing a cop. And I talk to my kids and they're like, we don't like cops. And I'm like, well, why don't you like cops? They're like, oh, they're bad people. They're this or that. I, I don't trust them. And I was like, I work with cops. I trust them with my life. And I, I love these kids, and these kids trust me, and I'm a cop. So let me put this all together, and I think we could really create a community around it. So I did surf with a cop day, and I'll tell you what, that first year was very interesting. I had the group homes. They didn't even tell the kids it was a cop. Really? Because they knew the kids wouldn't get in the yeah. van. And I would get the families here, and the, ki and the foster moms and dads would come up to me, and they're like, I don't know what to do. My kids are terrified. You know, I had cop cars displayed out. There's people in uniform. We were doing demonstrations, and they were so scared. They were frozen. So I took these. I, I remember it was one year I took these kids. I was like, bring your kids over here. The camp had already started. There was everybody's already in the water, and the kids come up, and I'm like, what's going on? They're like, like we're afraid of the cops. I'm like, okay, look out in the ocean. I was like, tell me who's the cop. And when they looked out there, they saw all of our kids are in the blue rash guards and all of my instructors are in the yellow rash guards and all my uh, safety people are in their red. I'm like, who's the cop? And they're like, I don't know. I was like, exactly. We're all equal in the ocean. So, you know, it was a really good event for our kids. It built so much trust between them and the cops. And for the cops, it was great to kind of come full circle and not have that last meeting being where you're removing somebody, actually get to know these kids' stories and build that trust. So um, we've been doing Surf for the Cop here in San Diego. This will be our fourth year, and it's our biggest event every year. That's awesome. And just to show you, like, you know, we did that first year where the kids were all afraid, and now they're getting a little bit better with the cops. And one of the things I incorporated was, you know, the kids, you know, a lot of the time the traumas, you know, the, the focus is on the kids, but there's a, you know, we've had a cop that spoke at our uh, event 
two years ago, he was shot. We almost lost the guy. I was one of our own. I was our volunteer. And what we realized is these cops are going through some trauma too. They're losing their partners and their friends. So what we did is we incorporated a paddle out memorial where the cops go out there and even with the kids, these kids who were once afraid of the cops, they're going out there and they're doing this memorial. I mean, I had kids that were literally getting on the front of a cop surfboard and having the cop paddle them out there just so they could be all together at this memorial for fallen officers. Wow. So that's something we incorporated a couple years back and it's just, it's kind of a pretty powerful moment. I was sort of in my mind envisioning and hoping for a certain answer and that's that's even better than what I had envisioned. I'll give just, I don't know if anyone cares, but I'll give a quick anecdote. Um, so as an administrator, um, I had, I don't, I don't know if it's fair to say frequent contact with the police, but more often than I would have hoped, I, I had contact with the police. Um, never, I'm not, never to, to report my children, but because of things that were happening to our kids or potential threats to the school building um, that were made on social media and stuff like that. And you can notice a, a real noticeable difference when that anonymity sort of goes away, when the um, law enforcement in your neighborhood knows who's in the neighborhood and when the, when the neighborhood knows uh, the law enforcement. Um, again, I'm not, we don't have to go down a political road or, or, or talk about like what's going on in the country, but obviously there is a lot of distrust in, in you know, in largely like minority communities. And I do think that taking away that anonymity at least is a start. And it sounds like you've gone even further in the fact that like you're actually forging relationships between the kids and the, and the law enforcement. So that's amazing. Yeah. I think what it does for the, for the kids too, is it humanizes, it Mm. humanizes the cops. You know, the cops come out there and they bring their family. Yeah. They bring their kids, they bring their wives, they bring their, you know, their family down to the event. So they become humans, you know, it's just something like when there's a, uh, a uniform on, it's, you know, you can, these kids can look at somebody like they're like a superhuman or they're a robot or there's something there's, but it's a person there. Yeah. You know, there's a person in there. So I think we just made those relationships, like the kids learn more about the cops and the cops learn more about the kids. And. You know, some of the kids were inspired. We bring the cadet programs out there, and the kids are getting exposed to that and can join the join the explorer programs and the cadets. And you know, for some of our kids, they're going from one extreme, being afraid of cops, to wanting to be one. Wow, to wanting to be one. That's so cool. Well, a couple more things I wanted to to ask you. Um, I saw on the website, and I was reading about Borden Brew. And I think it'd be cool to give them some love. Can you kind of explain their relationship with your program? Man, uh, where can where can you start <laughs> with uh, Clayton and the Board and Brew family? They have been a part of our program. The only, you know, when you, when you run a surf camp, everybody's always like, well, what's the cost? What's the cost to, I can get permits, I can get equipment donated and stuff. The most expensive part about running a surf camp is the food. Uh, it literally is the most expensive thing. I could get people to the beach, but if I have somebody there from eight or from ten a.m. to three p.m., they need to eat, you know. And a lot of these kids don't, you know. There's, you know, they they don't have funding in these group homes for it. So 
Board and Brew came in, and I think they're crazy, but they're like, we are on board with you guys. We're going to provide food at every single event you do. And they've done this for the last three years, and we're going to go on our fourth year with them. So Clayton and his team have literally helped us expand this program. I know it sounds so simple, like you donate a sandwich and uh, and some stuff, but it literally has enabled us to expand our camps. I know this from both education and from traveling, and now from being... Uh you know, sort of nomadic, somewhat homeless, but food is really a powerful thing. It sounds maybe overblown to say that, but when you can feed someone, you know, you're putting their stomach and their mind at ease and they're now comfortable and they're not thinking about food and Mm -hmm. it's a way to bond with people. Uh, So I can definitely see that also being like a powerful way to like create connections, like feeding kids and sitting down with them and talking and eating. And extra kudos for it to being a healthy option too. Uh. You know, the the sandwiches we're we're feeding the kids, we're you know confident it's like exactly what they need. It's a perfect blend of uh, nutrition that they need after a full day of surf. So that's cool. Um, Clayton and those guys, I can't love on them enough. I took a note before um, when you were talking about sort of the service projects that the kids get involved in, and I'd love you to maybe just expand upon what surf with the blind is and, and, and how that works. Yeah, so this is a crazy experience. Um, we were approached by the Encinitas Lions Club and they saw what we were doing here and, and the capacity we had to run camps and they said, well, we do an annual event and it's surfing with the blind um, and we want you to come and run the in-water portion of it. So they serve about 60 blind participants Surfing with blind participants or visually impaired participants, completely different than what we normally do. In fact, so much so that we had to bring in ISA approved instructors to train our volunteers and be on site when we're doing this specific adaptive surfing. Um, So we've done this with the Encinitas Lions Club. This will be our um, fourth year that we're doing it with them. But what we saw is, you know, yeah, we I can get my volunteers to come out and, and do an event, but it was a great opportunity for our kids to grow. So we get our kids that are going to Hawaii. This is one of their service projects. And they come out. They're not working in the water because a lot of my events, I mostly need work on land. So they're setting up these participants in their wetsuits and they're getting them down to their their land lesson. But what happens is, you know, these kids are used to being the project. And what we do in this event, you literally see it happen in front of your eyes. They become empowered. When that blind participant reaches their hand out, and we literally have to instruct them on how to lead a visually impaired person around the camp and what you have to say and how you got to hold on to them and how you do. And to watch these kids listen and then to actually do it for the first time in their lives, some of these kids are feeling like they are needed by somebody else. That's amazing. Yeah, so you literally watch this. I see these kids that are are so withdrawn. I mean, they, they have anxiety. This is way outside their comfort zone. And we push them to do it. And by the end of the day, I mean, they're laughing with these people and they're building connections with them. It's incredible growth just in one event. And these visually impaired folks, they're actually, they actually do get in the water, though? Some of them 
surf better than some of our kids. I mean, they are, it's incredibly inspiring. There's all different levels of impairment. We've dealt with people who, you know, are partially uh, impaired to people that literally have no vision. And do they have like a spotter or something? Like how? So what we do is we, um, we work with them in teams. So we'll, we'll have a, we basically set up what is equivalent to like a lane and you have a main uh, team leader for that lane. And that team leader is really going to be your eyes, your ears, your everything. And, you, and they're going to get you out there. And then, you know, surfing, everybody thinks of surfing as somebody standing up on their two legs and surfing on a, on a board. Surfing is riding on your belly. It's riding on your knees. It's sitting on top of the board like you're driving a bus. Or, and it could also include surfing on your feet. But for these, for these people, they don't have the opportunity to do it. So um, any which way we can get them in the water and on the board is surfing for us. Damn, but some of them, I'll tell you, you come out to that event, you'll see people, you'll see a hundred percent visually impaired person on two feet surfing waves. Wow. Talk about inspiring. And it's inspiring for our kids because a lot of times the kids think their situation's the worst. They can't visualize anybody having a, a tougher situation than them. And then they talk to some of these people who had vision at one point in their life and completely lost vision and they're still have this zest for life. So it's, it's inspiring for the kids. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, wow, I'm really inspired by this. I'd like to help out. How can they either, uh, physically help out or provide, uh, financial support? Yeah. You know, um, currently urban surf for kids. I'm, I'm the president. I volunteer all my time. Um, I work full time at night. And I do that because I knew that the organization organization needed that. Um, all the money that is donated to Urban Surf for Kids literally goes to our program right now. There's no crazy salaries. There's no crazy office buildings or nothing. We are literally, every single penny goes into our program. So in order for us to keep on doing this, we need donations. You could donate online on our website. You can come to one of our fundraising events. Um, and that's basically the two main ways. Um, also, if people know grants or, or have corporations that they work for that want to get involved, we love to get new corporate sponsors in here. And then the other way, there's two ways to volunteer for Urban. I say the first, the best way for somebody to get involved, come to a camp. You don't have to be a surfer. You don't have to be in love with the beach. You just have to come and have a good smile on your face. And that could be your introductory into Urban. And then the next step from there is joining our mentoring program. That's where we're really going to work. You're going to get in a smaller, intimate setting with the kids. You're going to be trained, background checked, and you're going to have a whole tool bag to deal with um, these kids and really take that relationship that you're developing to the next level with these kids. Awesome. All right, here will be my uh, uh, mushy moment of the podcast because I always have these. I... I'm really fortunate and it, the path that my life has taken is frankly amazing. Like that maybe sounds like arrogant to say, but I've been able now to, you know, 101 episodes to sit down with people doing really interesting things around the world. And and one of the messages that I'm constantly pounding at in this is that if if people are thinking about something they want to do with their life, like I had been, um 
to travel and to do these things that you can do it. And now it maybe it's not travel. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone wanted to take up surfing or yoga, or I always say like, I feel like, you know, a lot of people avoid real difficult conversations or they're afraid to say sorry to a family member they fought with years ago or whatever it is. Uh, whatever the thing is that you always think about, you can do that thing. Cause I did, and I'm not special. This is, uh, even more inspiring for me because I think that, again, without getting into like politics and, and sides of issues, it's a, a really divided country at this point. Um, there's a lot of people who are unhappy with things that are happening, whatever those things are. And like your example, I'm not, I don't want to say you're not special, but you know, there's no reason why people can't follow a path that you've taken. You know, we talked about a number of issues here from kids with trauma and PTSD to, um, you know, people with impairments and disabilities to fostering better relationships between law enforcement and communities. And and you're tackling all of those things. So if anybody's listening and is complaining about whatever it is in their life, like do something about it, even if it's, donating to a cause that you believe in that's tackling an issue or giving of your time. Um, so hopefully in addition to making people aware of some of these things, like this will help to inspire people and it inspires me, man. Like I, like I said, I, I take something from all my guests and this is, this is really, really cool. So thank you, Craig. Thank you very much for having us. We appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers, man. All right, folks, that is a wrap on episode number 101 of the voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Craig Jenkins. Thank you to Urban Surf for Kids. And thank you, Voyagers, for tuning in as always. All right. That's it for this one, folks. As always, please take care of each other. Until next time.